This morning's message comes from the third chapter of Acts. We're looking at what it means to be a community on mission. After we started into uh, the book of Acts as a, as a new study last week, I found myself going to the bookshelf in my office and pulling down the writings of a man named Rodney Stark. Stark is a sociologist at Baylor University these days, and he's devoted several decades worth of research trying to understand the history of Christianity, and in particular, uh, much of its early history, and why the church uh, in those first centuries survived, why it not only survived but multiplied and then managed to spread across much of the known world. And there are many factors that that Stark identifies that were unique to those early Christian communities. But one of them in particular that he comments on is their devotion to the virtue of mercy. Stark says this was unusual because in the Roman world, in in the pagan context in which the church first sprang up, mercy was actually considered a kind of pathological emotion, a weakness Many Romans felt that mercy interfered or got in the way of natural justice. But from the very beginning, the Christian church believed that as the recipients of God's love and mercy toward them, that they were compelled not just to care about themselves or their own immediate church community, but for the entire world that surrounded them. And that manifested itself in a number of peculiar practices. One that the Bishop Tertullian comments on at the end of the second century was the the early church's commitment to take offerings and and financial contributions and to to create uh, resources to do things like burying the poor in their community, supplying the needs of destitute children, of caring for the elderly. Uh, They were known to take care of those who suffered in shipwreck, which was actually reasonably common in the ancient world or those who were shut up in prisons. Again, these were all unusual, not not the kind of thing that most communities were doing. Halfway through the 3rd century, 50 years after Tertullian, another bishop named Cyprian uh, has, has letters describing how the church in his region, in Carthage of North Africa, responded during a time of plague. And, and many family members would, would abandon those who were sick to the streets to die as, as they fled the regions that were, were most directly impacted. Church communities, though, began practicing a very simple form of nursing to those who were ill and those who appeared to be dying. They, they brought water, they, they cared for them, they brought them bedding at great risk to themselves. But historians now reflecting on that time estimate that this simple commitment to providing nursing during that time of plague likely reduced mortality rates by up to 65%. Two out of three lives were, were likely spared during that pandemic because of the early church's commitment to mercy. Their, their expressions of mercy, though, I think are indicative of something that's even deeper in the DNA of the early Christian church. And that was that they lived as a, as a people and as a community and as a family that were on mission together. They, they noticed the world around them and they desired to transform it. 
They desired to take the living hope that they had in the gospel of Jesus Christ and to move outward with it. And they believed, as, as the Gospel of John says in chapter 3, that God so loved the world, the cosmos, that he would send his people out to care for it. Last week, we started looking at the book of Acts, and, and we witnessed the beginnings, the birth of that church on Pentecost, and how the Holy Spirit was poured out on that group of disciples in the upper room. And then they moved out into the streets of Jerusalem. And the Holy Spirit gave them power to translate that gospel of Jesus to the crowds. Today I want to start at the the end of Pentecost, the the very end of chapter 2, where Luke then provides a, a summary, a kind of profile of this dynamic new church community as they grow in mission together. Let me pray for us as we do that. Lord, I pray that you would draw us today up into your great love, to worship you, to notice you, to know who you are. Lord, I pray that you would draw us in together as as a family, as a church, as a body that has received your mercy. So, Lord, that we might also be sent out in, in new ways, in creative ways, into the world that surrounds us today. Lord, may the words of my mouth as I teach, may all the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to start out in Acts chapter 2, verse 43, through the end of that chapter. These are uh, the weeks following Pentecost, just, just after that event. It says, A deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Whenever I get to this section in the book of Acts, and this is a passage that is frequently referenced, this this early church community, it's, it's encouraging to me, but honestly, I always feel a little jealous as well. Luke describes here this great enthusiasm and vibrancy and energy around the life of the church. He talks about a deep sense of awe, of generosity and joy that that characterized this community. He describes signs of miraculous power at work among them. And it sounds good, maybe almost too good, to be true, or or to fit with my own experiences of life in the church. And for that reason, then, I can be tempted to to sort of dismiss or or move more quickly through these descriptions uh, and and sort of write them off. Because my my own experience with church is, is sometimes exciting and full of life, like the one described here, but sometimes it's tedious, Right? My own experience with church is, is sometimes accomplishing things together in community, 
and sometimes being disappointed with that community. So I'm wondering, what is it then that made this first church community different? Of course, immediately we're we're first drawn to, to the signs and wonders that Luke speaks about here. Miracles. But I think what may actually be even more powerful in that first church community is its simplicity. Right? The, the community we find described here is not complex, it's not program-driven, it's not an institutional bureaucracy yet. What I think is compelling about the church at the end of Acts 2 is the way it has gathered itself around what's essential. Right? It is a beautifully basic community. And the church that we see described here really only does three things. First, we're told they make ample space for worship in the life they share together. Right? They, they, they turn up at the temple every day for these times of prayer, to praise God, to be in his presence. Secondly, they enjoy and they commit themselves to a robust sense of community, of relationship. Specifically, they share whatever they have with each other. As as need comes up, they, they sell what they have or give what they have to one another. They share meals with one another in their homes each and every day. So they they make space for worship, they enjoy this sense of community, and then thirdly, we're told that that sense of worship and community together leads them into mission as as a third thing they do. Verse 47 comments that as this community continues to worship with one another, they enjoy the goodwill of the people of Jerusalem. And every day, new members, new faces are added to the mix of that community tells us that they were welcoming, that they were hospitable, that they they found ways to integrate these newcomers into the life they shared. Those three practices also happen to be the same elements we focused on in last week's sermon. The most basic practices that that Jesus modeled and, and commanded and offered to his disciples as well. To worship with frequency, in our daily lives, to live a life of worship, to share our lives in community with each other, and then to let the Spirit of God lead us to notice where he is in mission. Worship, community, and mission. That's this beautifully kind of basic description of the community in Acts. But for us to do that as a 21st century church, would probably require some, some decluttering, right? some, some moving out and making space to, to give greater attention to these sort of essential features. In some ways, it's harder for us to do only three things well than to chase after 30 different things and do them poorly. One of the, the unique opportunities that this this season in and around COVID-19 and in all of the ways it's it's caused our daily lives to sort of come to a halt. One of the opportunities though that presents for us is to reimagine what's essential. Right? What is it that we are gathered around? What is it that we do with the new day we have in front of us? 
As a church, most of our old ways of being together, most of the programs that we designed, most of the habits that we have are mothballed right now. And we could choose to sort of just wait and hope and wonder when we can go back to doing things the way we've always done them. Or we could also be asking together right now, well, what do worship and community and mission look like today? What if being the church was really essentially just about these three practices? There's something, I think, beautifully basic about about that challenge, about the the chance to reflect and, and maybe even just change the way we engage in those habits. I don't think any of us quite know what the spring and the summer are going to look like as a church community, but my sense is that we may be on the verge of a season where our habits and our actions might need to look more like the ones described here in Acts, where we will continue to be knit together as, as one church family through the preaching and teaching of God's word, through, through what we believe and share with one another in that way, but that the, the specific and kind of local times of worship and community will probably be happening in our homes or in smaller or, or maybe medium-sized gatherings for a time. And as, as we reimagine what that's going to look like, as we try to, to come up with creative expressions to do that well, I think it also presents us with a chance to see how mission might operate in a new way at the same time. As Acts chapter 2 concludes, it, it moves us into chapter 3, where we're given this beautiful particular example of the mission of the early church happening along the way. Look at Acts 3, verses 1 uh, down, down through 6 with me. It says, Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the 3 o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, look at us. The layman looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. I think this is an example of mission happening through the church along the way, so to speak. Most of our American churches, evangelical churches, of, of which I would consider ourselves a part, I think we, we know how to prioritize worship reasonably well. We, we know that we're meant to exist as a community who come together and study God's word and, and praise God and, and meet him in the sanctuary together. We're also reasonably committed to the practice of of knowing one another in community, of sharing our lives, of small groups, of fellowship times. But I think where more often than not we struggle is this movement, this third practice of mission. 
Quite often, I think we either get stuck there or we simply run out of steam. Either we've kind of exhausted all of our energy and attention and resources on worship and community, and it just sort of stays in-house with us. Or perhaps we, we feel intimidated by the idea of mission. It seems like a new frontier we have to cross into. It seems like we have to figure it out or create a new initiative or learn even kind of in an uncomfortable way, we feel like we have to market Jesus in, in clever ways to our neighbors. And, and we feel uncomfortable around that. The American church, I think, often is largely failing at the practice of mission. And, and I can identify with that struggle and failure myself. What I love, though, about the picture of the church here in Acts 3 is that for them, mission happens in tandem. Mission happens alongside their practices of worship and community. Think about the, the picture here of Peter and John walking literally from the houses where they share meals together, where they're living together in community. They're walking from that place physically to the place of worship at the temple. And mission happens on that journey, on that walk to the place of worship. And it happens, it begins here, we're told, with the the simple focus and, and making space for something like eye contact. It says there was a man lame from birth who was sitting outside the temple gates in Jerusalem, hoping to beg for money. And I've actually witnessed this same sort of thing in in churches across the world even today. And typically, you know, they'll they'll bring someone with significant handicaps or with with great need, and they'll, they'll sit outside these places of worship. And most of the worshipers, most of us have trained ourselves to avert our eyes and look away. It's, it's uncomfortable, it's a problem, maybe too great for us to fix, and we, we move on and into the place of worship. But verse 4 says Peter and John are different. Peter and John choose to give generously of their attention to this man. It says they looked at him intently. And then in return, they even ask him to look at us. They want, they want to see him, right? They want to make eye contact. I wonder who it might be for us, who that someone is that is along the way, maybe even adjacent to the lives we experience in community and in worship with each other, but who God is inviting us to see in a new way. Maybe even inviting them to see us, to be in a relationship that hasn't existed before. That, that simple act of seeing another person in our community could be a first step toward mission. Here, as these three men begin to sort of look each other over, I think Peter begins to perceive some things about what this man truly needs. Of course, the man likely looks hungry. I'm sure he appears destitute. But there's also the reality that if Peter or John were to simply give him a coin, that that would only remedy the needs that he has for a few days. And so 
In verse 6, Peter chooses to say, Today I, I don't have silver or gold to give you, but I'll give you what I do have. He says, In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, get up and walk. Acts says that this mission which begins along the way with seeing this man in the first place continues by offering to him what they have, what they've already been given. Peter says what Jesus has given him, he will extend now to this man. And he invites him into the risen life and power of Jesus. Jesus, who the prophet Isaiah said, could open blind eyes and unstop deaf ears, could cause the mute tongue to shout for joy, and even cause the lame to leap like a deer. He offers to this man what he possesses. I've been having a lot of conversations with a number of you in the, the last few days and weeks about where there are needs in particular right now and where there might also be resources to meet those needs. There are financial needs. There are health-related needs. There are need for food and groceries. Pete shared about the initiative to support a number of food shelves right now. There are needs that people have for emotional support. And none of us alone have the capacity to meet all of those needs. It's overwhelming to even imagine trying to do that. But what I think the Holy Spirit does invite us to do is not to feel overwhelmed and therefore abandon mission, but is to see one or two places. Right? See those who might already be along the way in proximity to the lives and communities that, that we're a part of. And then recognize that we are the recipients of Christ's love. We are the recipients of his power and his mercy. And then just begin to respond by offering whatever God has given us already. We don't don't have to have something that that we don't possess. We can offer what we have been given. You could offer in very simple ways to be a a part of the team right now who's being joined together to make phone calls to encourage and, and check up with folks. You could offer to pick up groceries for a neighbor or someone in the church who lives nearby. You could offer to share worship songs with a few of your friends over Zoom. You could offer to invite some neighbors into your backyard and teach them how to plant a garden with you this spring. There there are lots of ways to offer what it is you have been given. But as you do that, let me encourage you to also be listening to those you're sharing your life with. Because they they might also have some deeper places of need that they would invite you into and and just need to be heard right now. And maybe even consider gently offering to pray for your neighbors in that way. What Jesus has offered us and given and gifted to the church body and family of his people, I think so often turns out to be precisely what our world needs. What we have been given is, in fact, what is needed. And I think there's a beautiful example of that here at the conclusion of this story in verses 7 through 10. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. 
Then, walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple with them. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. The specific miracle this man experiences is, of course, rare. I've been part of active, sort of in my discipleship in the church for probably 25 years, and I only know of of one other direct friend, direct person, who has experienced an an acute act of healing like the one described here. We had a, a good friend named Jamie who went from paralysis in a wheelchair and in a matter of weeks miraculously began to walk again. And of course, a sign or a miracle like that draws us to recognize the power of God. It points to the lordship of Jesus Christ over everything, our body, our mind, our spirit. But in this description, and I think often when these miraculous things happen, there's, there's more to the miracle that we overlook. Here in Acts 3, we see that the man is not only physically restored, but there is also a restoration of his, his life to a life of worship. And he also is then enjoined to a community of worship. Verse 7 firstly describes the physical side of this healing. As Peter offers what he has, right, he extends the invitation to be healed through the Holy Spirit, through faith in Jesus, and we're told that the man's feet and ankles were instantly strengthened. As he then physically begins to walk and rises, verse 8 describes the way that that healing also restores a capacity for worship in a new way. Right? There's the almost incremental. It says he, he begins to walk, and then he begins to leap, and then he begins to praise and rejoice in this healing, right? to sing songs of praise to God. There's a direct allusion, actually, back to that passage in Isaiah 35, where the the lame leap like a deer. So we have the physical restoration. We have the man's restoration to worship. And then at the tail end of verse 8, it says the man went into the temple with Peter and John at either side of him. I think that's an an awesome picture of, of this man's first steps into the life of that early church community. He's pulled into a friendship, into a family, right, where the deeper needs that he has will continue to be seen and addressed and healed over time. So when the church goes on mission together, right, as we worship, as we are a community, as we begin to see the world around us and offer what it is God has given us, It's not only about sharing the teachings of Jesus, though of course that is central to the gospel we proclaim. It's not only seeing God work signs or wonders or miraculous changes, but it's also about enjoining people into a worshiping community and family of Jesus that is in mission together, right? And and it's by abiding in, in the life of Jesus in all those dimensions that we fulfill this calling. So let me just offer to pray for us that we might begin to reimagine and and move through this season in a similar way. 
Lord, I, I pray that you would give us a, a beautiful sense of simplicity when we think about what it means to belong to your church here. Lord, that we would have a great availability and, and time and space and commitment to worshiping you, to being in your presence every day. That we would also be, be invested and be excited and committed to knowing one another, to entering our homes when we're able uh, to share meals together, to share life together. And then to begin to witness how you would move us in mission, to notice and to see those alongside us in this place, that they might be drawn into the community of, and worship and mission as well. Lord, we, we offer uh, the, the living, breathing body of Jesus Christ, of which we're a part, we, we offer our little part of that into your care. Ask that you would add to it through the power and the work of your spirit today. In Jesus' name. Amen.